What is up, everyone? Welcome back to The Awakened Catholic Show. Uh, man, today's episode is something I've been looking forward to for a little bit here. New Polity is a, a booming and growing podcast in the Catholic world and, and hopefully even beyond that. Uh, people are falling in love with the messages, the ideas behind New Polity. We have here with us Jacob Imam and Mark Barnes, uh, who are the hosts of New Polity. Uh, and they, I'm going to let them talk about what they talk about in this podcast. Um, maybe just give us a super quick like snapshot. For this introduction uh well we think that the world was created to be a kingdom um that is ruled by jesus christ and we think that there are particular actions we can do in society today in order to make that kingdom real um and that's not a joke so that's what we i'm a huge for. fan i'm a huge fan <laughs> and that's what we speak for and that's what we're trying to uh work out in, yeah in various channels i love that so and fair. you guys that's great all right you yeah. guys are in town <laughs> because you're putting on a couple of events to to sure. talk about your message to talk about the things that you have discovered to be so important in your own lives um ever since i was put onto your podcast i've just fallen in love with it and i share it with everyone that i know because I, I think oh, it's just so thank valuable you. thanks Nick. um absolutely uh and so anyways we're going to be getting into um who these men are what makes them tick and what the whole deal is with new polity we're going to talk about some stuff that's potentially controversial maybe even a couple areas where i might butt heads with these guys they don't even know we're going to do that um all right all of that stuff's coming up right after this Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode with the guys from New Polity, which by the way is an amazing episode, it was an incredible conversation, and actually it was such a good conversation that we weren't able to finish in the amount of time that we had allotted before we had to get them to the live event we had that night at a church nearby. So, uh, and basically we were put in a position where we left off on a cliffhanger talking about cryptocurrency, of which I'm a major fan and advocate, um, and uh, they took a different position on that, but we weren't able to really get into to it beyond uh, Jacob kind of sharing his uh, passionate disdain for cryptocurrency. You'll learn more about that as the episode goes on here. But anyways, we are we did decide we're going to do a part two so that we can uh, take that take this whole conversation to its completion um, in full Catholic style. We're going to address every nuance of the topic. Um, and it's going to be amazing. So part two, uh, we plan on releasing in November. So make sure to tune back in in November. I mean, who are we kidding? You listen to this show every week, right? <laughs> Silly Nick. Anyways, today's episode is sponsored by Select International Tours. Uh, we are going on pilgrimage with them this year. Two different pilgrimages. One that Alina and I are going on, uh, which is to the Holy Land. And you could come with us to the Holy Land, as, as well as Father Eric Shield from St. Joseph Parish in Maumee. It's going to be an incredible trip. Select International Tours, the sponsor of this episode. We've partnered with them for these two pilgrimages. Oh, I, I should have mentioned the other one is going to Paris and Lourdes, France. Uh, you, you don't want to miss either one. So maybe just go on both. I mean, let's be real. You live once, right? Um, false. As a Christian, we resurrect. So about that whole YOLO thing. Anyways... Man, <clears throat> I am unbridled, without restriction. We want to get to this episode. So the final thing I want to tell you is if you want to support this show, because all of our shows now have unique individual uh, patron communities where you can get exclusive benefits specific to this show and the community that's a part of this show, the supporters of this show, then visit theawakencatholicshow.com uh, and check it out. You, you know, if nothing else, you should go there to watch the patron video, uh, which... If I say, may say so myself, it's, it's quite entertaining. Anyways, all of that having been said, now the episode. Gentlemen, welcome. Gentleman, thank you. Yes. Wow, gentleman. <laughs> I think you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable there. Uh, I, I appreciate that. It's definitely overstated, but uh, thank you. Uh, guys, so I, I, I think that there's a lot about your message a lot about the things that you talk about on your show that i instantly fell in love with because there were there's almost like there were truths that my inner being was kind of conscious of in, in uh, inherently that i didn't really know why i sort of felt the way that i felt about certain things i didn't have necessarily scriptural defenses for some of the things that i believed um but there, there's another show on uh, awakened catholic called the men's show and we basically uh the premise to that show is there was a group of us that would get together in college and we would just debate the most random and stupid topics like you know are bikinis okay you know like <laughs> uh are cigarettes evil um and 
one topic that came up once was, is it okay to having, have a savings account? Like, mm-hmm. is it immoral or is it moral to have a savings account? And I made the argument that night, and I never put two thoughts to it at all, maybe not even one, until that night. And that night I made the argument, I don't know that it is super moral to have a savings account. And it was just kind of a guttural f- feeling that I had. Um, and so, you know, that's just one of the many, many examples where I, I just had like these beliefs that I didn't have a lot of definition to. And when I encountered your content, I was just like, wow, this is really bringing definition to things that I just kind of, I, I just thought, I just believed, and and kind of um, expanding and, and helping me to go deeper into some of those trains of thought. So um, before we actually talk about your show, before we talk about your message, I want to just, I want to do something different than what maybe the other Catholic podcasts out there that interview you might do. I just want to talk about you guys. Like, who are you? <laughs> Let's start with you, Mark. Oh, boy. Um, who am I? That is broad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to specify it. How did you become who you are today? Well, you know, when a man loves a woman. <laughs> yes. Mommy and Daddy Barnes. Yeah. No, Mommy I mean, Barnes was looking real good that night. The, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I just woke up one day and found myself with being in existence. Mm. And I f- was sort of contentious and argumentative throughout school. Um and I liked to write a lot, and I've always been writing. I had an inflated ego where I thought that everyone would want to read what I had to say, which was sometimes true, mostly not. <laughs> um, and at some point, I through I think, the teaching of my parents, I mean, is a very basic scenario. I have fallen in love with Christ, and I have also come to see the Christian vision for the world as one that really is possible and which can create real peace here. That's a, that's a broad answer to who am I? I'm sort of getting, no, that's, be- that's exactly what I'm looking for. That's beautiful. What do you think your parents did? Cause most people wouldn't respond. It's because of my parents that I love Jesus. Like most people wouldn't say I think that. So. I think so. Um, well, I, I think they were just examples of, um, earnestness and on and honesty mm. like i never i never got the sense that they were using the faith for some other motive than the faith itself i mean their belief just seemed so genuine and it wasn't a power play and i think that maybe this is unnecessarily negative but i think for many people in their experience it's like the faith becomes a difficulty because even when there's earnestness and belief there's also this sense of the faith being used for something else mm. for an, for getting more authority than you maybe have for being able to more convincingly to, to be being able to convince people of things more easily i mean you the use of the faith i think is something really detrimental to good to good parenting and i guess i just never i mean it frustrated me that my parents just pretty much seemed to believe like and there wasn't really a lot of ways around that and i would try to argue with them about mm-hmm. stuff all the time but i think because of that, I realized, wow, there's an actual coherent, peaceful existence possible for the Christian person. Um, and I want it. I want to be at peace. And having that example, I can't think of anything more formative than that. That's amazing. Which I think is, a, I think should be uh, comforting to any parents now. It, it's, it's not like a panacea, but if you just just chill out a little bit and, and really believe the thing you say you believe, I think it'll go much farther than any kind of elaborate um, methodology of, of, yeah. of transmitting. That. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like even that reminds me of in parish ministry, you know, there's always this tension of like, we got to find the right program and stuff. It's like, well, maybe maybe if you were just authentic disciples and, and like evangelized people and just shared your witness and testimony, maybe that would do it. Maybe that would get people here. Sure. Um, the, the program has always been the family. This yeah. is one of the big mistakes within that sort of world is, is the idea that, um, and it comes from the right place because families are often not around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there are these remedial institutions. Or broken. And, yeah, totally. Yeah. But in the end, at the end of the day, um, God revealed himself as father because the way we understand him is through our actual fathers. And, and, uh, yeah, it just seems to me like if you, if the, the, the way that Christianity has been suppressed within this world has been through the destruction of the family which is the primary way in which Christianity mm-hmm. uh, comes to take over the social order. Amen to that. And a lot of that was uh, prophesied in Humanae oh, yeah, yeah. Vitae and God knows how many things. Um, 
Thank you for sharing that. That's profound. And, and that's super good. And as a parent, you know, it is, it is comforting, like you alluded to. You know, it's like, gosh, in conveying the faith, which matters so much to Alina and I, it's like, oh, my gosh, which part of it do we show them first? The rules, the prayers, or Jesus? Or, like, how do we do all of it at once? Like, it, it is kind of scary. But, you know, that authentic, just living it out as as the primary mode through which you pass it on. You know, we, we, uh, we've prayed rosaries with our kids, and they're not, they're not old. They're young, but they do it. And something we started doing is, like— when we started to discover a little bit of that tension of they want to play, they're being rambunctious, we, we decided, you know what, this is primarily first and foremost for my wife, Alina, and I. So we'll pray the rosary. They'll be in the room doing other things. And uh, occasionally one of them will go and grab their rosary and pray part of it with us because they decided to join us, not because we were like, we're doing this, you know. Um, and so that's been kind of an interesting a step in that direction, I think. Sure, yeah. 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 Awesome. All right, Jacob, tell us about you. Who are you? How did you become who you are? I'm very curious to learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wasn't raised in a Catholic home. Yeah, as, as tell Mark us. Was. Uh, my dad was a Muslim, born and raised in Jerusalem. My mom was born a Catholic and baptized, but her family left the church around the age of 11 when she was 11. Um, and so she was poorly catechized at the time or just not catechized. Um, and so she really was uh, without any sort of what we would call religion uh, when she met my father uh, living in the Middle East. Uh, they were married, moved to the States, agreed to raise the kids as Muslims. But uh, when she returned stateside, she moved next door to a family that was studying the Gospel of John, and she did that with them, and she became a, a happy evangelical as a result. Oh, my gosh. And so even though they had a, made this agreement to raise a kid's Muslim, uh, she would sneak into my bedroom at night and teach me stories wow. about, about Christ. And it was about age of four when I realized that my parents believed uh, different things about who God was and what he wanted. And, uh, and so I just said, well, I'm, I guess I'm really not old enough to think about this. It was, uh, right now and but all, I mean, it was kind of like what Mark was saying where I thought, I think my mom's religion has a better shot because my dad's really angry at her oh, for wow. all of this and, uh, for teaching me this. He didn't know at first and, uh, and, and yet she's she's holding on pretty tightly to this mm -hmm. and she's continuing the, the you know sneak into my room and tell me certain things so um so it was about the age of 14 or so that i started to have a real conviction of my sin and that was the point when i started to turn to my father's faith and said okay you know what do i have to do and really the only answer i found was do better, try harder. Mm. Uh, this is what's demanded of you. And there wasn't a, a really profound uh, taking seriously of, of sin. And then I turned to my mom's faith and saw, well, there sure is, you know, to the point where Christ was crucified, um, that there was a huge chasm, like sin really made a, a great break with God. And I thought that was pretty obvious, at least just to my untrained mind it was like, well, just I sin, the whole world is, is gone crazy. This cannot be the way that, that God would have had it. And so, uh, the fact that uh, Allah was so, uh, he, he's not considered to be a patient God within mm. the Quran. And I didn't think that lined up with just how patient God was, whoever he, he was. Um, and then finding the crucifixion narratives in the sacred scriptures, uh, I thought, well, the, he's taking my sin seriously. There's there's something that's um, that's that's reshaping. Mm -hmm. It's able to reshape my relationship with him completely and our relationship, the world's relationship with him uh, completely. So then I bounced around various Protestant churches for a few years, completely unsatisfied with any of them uh, until, uh, until I, um, one of my teachers from high school, this was after graduating from high school, uh, became an Orthodox, uh, an Eastern Orthodox believer. And so I started Eastern Orthodox catechesis, and they kept defining themselves based upon almost in opposition to Catholics throughout throughout the training. So I thought, well, I better go hear it from the horse's mouth, and did and joined Catholic catechesis at the same time. I did those concurrently, and I um, 
I think it made it a lot easier to become Catholic. I left a huge fan of the Orthodox faith and of the Orthodox Church, um, but totally convinced that I needed to become Catholic. So, so earlier in that yeah. process, when you were feeling that conviction about your sin and and wanting to figure out how to navigate that. I mean, it, it, if I un- heard correctly what you were mm-hmm. describing, it sounded like that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and, and to me, it's just so powerful how the Holy Spirit can move in us and stir our hearts, well, even you, when we're not in a context that would, uh, in an obvious way, point us in that direction. Sure. Well, there were a couple of things. Okay. S- s- smallish, though. Uh I was challenged to stop watching bad bad movies, stop listening to bad music for a month. Okay, and it was a it was kind of like a challenge that I just took, only because I wanted to prove the other person how disciplined I was, mm-hmm. and and that was the real reason, the real motivation, and all of it. But after that, I could just see how vile those movies were, and just how disgusting that music was, mm-hmm. and and I thought, wow. I was in this. I'm still pretty much in this. The whole world's in this. And this is no way that I would ever imagine a creator to, to want the world to be. Mm. So it was, it was actually that. It was a collective understanding of sin as much as it was a personal one, too. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. That, thank you for sharing that. I know. It's yeah. <laughs> probably tapping into older things. and um, But, okay, so... Don't worry. I've been through counseling. It's fine. Okay, now. great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because, you know, I don't know what you're specifically referring to, but I... I, I think that uh, Matt, Fred, and I probably stand uniquely in the Catholic world of influencers, speakers, writers, whatever, in that he and I both love horror movies. Um, and I don't know what you're referring to, but when I heard you say disgusting, revile, I'm like, oh, it sounds like some of the horror movies that Matt, Fred, and I probably like. <laughs> um, but no, I, I mean, I hear you and I agree with like th- those convictions are, are so powerful. And I love how the Holy Spirit um, worked in, in mm-hmm. and through some of those dialogues, whether it was a competitive thing or whatever, yeah. initially, that, that's that's powerful. That's really beautiful. So uh, before we continue, because mm-hmm. I have a little bit more I want to dive into about you guys as, as individuals, um, it is actually time for the Kerygma Speed Round. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's always most fun to me when my guests don't know what's coming. Um, all right. So question number one, you each get a, a quick turn. This is a speed round. Okay. Question number one uh, is... I thought we were doing hard drugs or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm more on board. Okay. Excellent. Um, first question, who is Jesus to you? Oh, I thought this was going to be like... Um... Something that I could have a really good true or false answer. <laughs> Blue. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is king. Kanye said it first. I believe it. <laughs> Kanye said it first. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I think I failed the speed round. <laughs> That's amazing. Might have been Matthew. Might have been Gabriel. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, I did read the questions you sent to us, unlike Mark, but that was what my answer was awkward. going to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. King. Absolutely. Sovereign. Maybe is another way of putting it. Love that. He's sovereign. Yeah. Way yeah. to steal his idea and just yeah. change the word. That's totally great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Question number two. What is your elevator pitch for a life with Jesus? Uh, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Mm. Love that. It's a short elevator ride. Yeah. <laughs> you do get to choose how many floors there are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think you finally have have something worth suffering for. And I think that, yeah. that goes along with... Uh, with Mark, I th- you're always. I think in this life, you're always going to be crucified. It's your choice whether it be crucified with the you know next on Jesus left or Jesus right. Mm. You know, both guy. One guy ended up in heaven, the other didn't. Um, but one one had had a, a death worth dying for. That's great. I love that. Question number three: What's your elevator pitch for life, specifically as a Catholic? Oh my gosh, it's just a blast. It's so much fun. We get to do so many things. Like our feasts, our festivals, you get to like actually end up being in a creative environment where like there's more than like Netflix and drugs. Mm -hmm. Uh, You get to like have the question all tenets of life and then start to live differently. You get the Eucharist. Come on. Can't beat it. Yeah. I mean, it's literally him. Yeah. There you go. Mark? Uh, You ever kissed a dead body and it was Uh, cool? (laughs) That took a turn. I'm saying I've done that, and it's because I'm Catholic. <laughs> Hashtag relics. Yeah. No, I'm really I'm in it for the um, I'm in it for, for the, the dead bodies, dead bodies, and, and the um, and the sort of secret takeover of uh, world governments by the Jesuits. That's 
That's okay. why I like being Catholic. Yeah, any Protestants uh, watching or listening, there, there's a certain level of, uh, you know, cheekiness that I think is being a- applied here. Maybe maybe <laughs> ex- expand one? on No, ex- I, I, love, I love where you took it, but expand on it in language that um, won't make the Protestants burn my house down. Well, that's that's all I was doing. That was as profound as I got. <laughs> um, I like that. I mean, it's sort of what I said when I said you don't have to be afraid. I mean, the church is... Um, full of helps to um, enter into a relationship with Christ. And it's not just this thing that really sort of smart and careful readers of the Bible who come to understand all the truths of the faith Mm -hmm. can do. It has almost every aspect of humanity on lock. So if if you're someone that responds to images and pictures... The church gives you those. If you respond to the smells, the sounds, the church gives you the bells, the incense. The church gives you um, a, a way to experience death and to experience the continued life of the saints in relics. And there's no part of human life, no matter how dark or how, or how scary, that the church shies away from. They see every single part of it as a stepping stone to a relationship with Christ. That's beautiful. And I, being... Um, dumb and slow and sinful prefer to have a faith where pretty much every help that I can get is on offer Hmm. as opposed to like a purely sort of intellectual journey towards Christ or maybe a purely emotional journey towards Christ or something like that. Yeah, because it almost is like you have to choose between the two in other contexts. Oh, totally. That's beautiful. I I mean, one of the things that I don't like about, well, now I'm just being mean, but it's been well said, I think, that um, in some segments of Christianity, the true faith is only possible if you're a German academic. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, unfortunately, with like scriptural, the, when you go for having the Bible alone, and then you have the immense problem of like, yeah, but the Bible is really confusing. And <laughs> suddenly it's like, wait, this faith is an academic exercise, mm-hmm. which is um, no good. Yeah, like your faith is essentially based on how much knowledge you acquire. And yeah, yeah, I agree. That is that is her- heretical. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. Boring. It makes me sad. So anarchy. it brings That's you beautiful. back further into anxiety. So what I like to do is just go to churches, kiss whatever saint is dying or dead. <laughs> just kiss everybody. Just <laughs> lowercase s saints, uppercase s saints. Yeah. Just just go to town. Um, amazing. COVID's over, baby. <laughs> COVID's over. Sorry, I don't want to get you. I don't want to get you canceled. I don't know if that applied with the dead bodies. That's a good point. Unless they. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, man. At some point, dogs were carrying it. I don't know. Saints could be doing it. They pr- it probably spread up to heaven by now. It was, it's, a, it's a mysterious yeah. and awful disease. Before we continue this conversation, I want to make sure that you remember that this episode, this incredible conversation with the guys from New Polity, was made possible by our sponsors, Select International Tours. Um, Select is an incredible company. If you want to learn more about Select, visit selectinternationaltours.com slash awaken, um, and you can check out information about the two pilgrimages we're taking with them this year. It's an incredible company. Super excited that we're partnered with them and absolutely worth your visiting selectinternationaltours.com slash awaken and now back to the meat and potatoes i am curious so i love what you just said um there, there's a real intellectual as, as much as it's also just practical and relational uh in the new polity show that you guys host mm-hmm. there's a real uh profound intellectual component to it that is very valuable how do you reconcile um some of the um, emphasis on the degree of research that you guys have to do for the topics that you cover um, and and just how deeply intellectual a lot of it is in, in a beautiful way between the philosophy and theology that undergirds your your presentation of it. Um, how do you how do you reconcile that against kind of what we were just talking about you want to avoid, which is over intellectualizing your faith or, or, or an overly intellectual focused faith? Wow, there's a lot of things you could say to that. Yeah, please say all of them. No, uh, okay. <laughs> well, I just think the intellect is not a. I don't know. I mean, in the tradition, we are intellectual animals, which means that everything that distinguishes us from every other animal is contained in the intellect in some manner. Hmm. Which means it can't possibly be the case that the intellect can be reduced to like the research process or something like that. It's like. The intellect is how I am in touch with the essence of things. 
And that includes like profound emotional intuitions into what things are, into who mm -hmm. people are. I mean, it, it's, it's just a lame enlightenment reduction of the intellect to like a, a calculator that you sometimes use. Which yeah, is I think totally when, false. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really helpful. And, and for those who, of you that that did not make apparent sense, like what that How meant. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, How dare I, you? I would, I, I would, I would really like encourage you to consider like rewind, listen to that again, figure out what it means. <laughs> uh, but here's a help to, to enable you. St. Ephraim, uh, he was in a oh, uh, yeah. fourth century uh, saint from Syria, awesome deacon, guy. amazing guy. He, he, amongst many other saints, actually uh, talked about this idea of the, of the intellect participating with God insofar as you know something's essence. Mm. It's not going to just the library and reading a bunch of books, sitting down and studying a whole bunch of Greek words. It's actually knowing the thing intimately in such a way that you are almost knowing it thoughtlessly. Mm -hmm. So he, his example of this is Adam naming the animals. That it's not just that he would, he just like chose random names. And it's not, also not that he like researched what they did and picked a fitting name, but he saw it and he knew it in such a way as the angel saw and knew in the same way that God saw and knew. And that, that is the, that is a reason why it's so fitting mm -hmm. that that served almost as a test case before he was then head of a marriage um, that he proved in, a, in one one way of, of phrasing it, he proved union with God mm. in so far as, as their intellects were were married together. He could extend that marriage into his, his marriage with Eve. Think about this. When the scriptures wanted to talk about, uh, uh, to get a good euphemism for making love, they could think of no better way to describe it than to say that someone knew someone else. Biblically. Biblically. <laughs> but, it, but it's not it's not just a euphemism. Right, it's not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And I love that distinction yeah. that it isn't just a euphemism because yep. it could sound like that. But no, no, no. That's that's really great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, it almost reminds me, too, in our human relationships, like mm -hmm. with our spouses, our spice, as I like to say, um, uh, that, that's that, I mean, it only does make sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> but for for me with Alina, for example, in my getting excited about her early on in our dating relationship in high school, um, I just wanted to learn her. I wanted to get to know her as a person and, and learn about her family, her passions, what she's excited about. And that came from the root of my uh, initial intrigue and excitement and growing um, love for her. And that is very different learning than being like a creepy stalker, like in a distance uh, from a distance, learning about her, watching her, observing about her, reading about her online. And I almost feel like... Which you did as well. I mean, I, yeah, I, it's not yeah. like, I'm not going to say I didn't. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, but that distinction is, is kind of uh, parallel to me for, for people that in their journey of faith, they get so caught up and I have to learn, I have to learn, I have to learn. But it isn't as much about uh, an opportunity to grow closer to the the person of God or the heart of God, as much as it is like feeling like that knowledge is what's going to save them. Totally. And it's almost, it kind of reminds me of that um, from a distance kind of creepy stalkerish uh, person that's studying from afar versus entering into a relationship that mm -hmm. makes you passionately in love and makes you want to learn for that reason. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's right. So when you see the old lady at the back of church praying her rosary, like she is entering into that type of knowledge, that profound relational knowledge mm -hmm. of, of union. Uh, and and But there's many tools, and, call, and Christ does call us to love God with our whole minds. And so as a result, we do see the intellectual life as uh, what we classically understand as intellectual life as, as part of that. That's why St. Francis, who was, you know, one of the great uh, and most profoundly charismatic people in church history and a total uh, genius of the faith, recommended that all of his his own disciples uh, study sacred theology, like actually get to know the sacred scriptures, to love it, to learn it, to know the tradition, the philosophical tradition, mm -hmm. um, why they go hand in hand, really. Yeah. Okay. Well, one thing that, that's helpful is actually believing in God. Sure. Because, no, I mean, it's hard, right? Because the thing is, theology and thinking about things can lead you to think that you believe in God, but what in fact you love is being right about God, which is different. Doesn't it feel good to be right? It feels great. Sometimes it feels even better than our experience of worship here on this earth. And mm. so we pursue being right. And sometimes you don't even realize the switch that's been made. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm so right about God so often.
<laughs> it's yeah, incredible. Yeah. I must be in love with him. It's like, no, no, no. Right. But if you can, I mean, I think we try to call each other to task mostly through like, like going to divine liturgy and actually, you know, being a part of the faith. Um, you can't fake it. You know, you have to actually believe in God and then it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And, and then the difference that it makes in your life is simply the intellectual work having its component in activity, which is what I think when we work on the ideas that we're working on, it's always with that in, in motion. It's always mm-hmm. that idea that, well, obviously we know that this stuff can't just be a way of us being right. It has to create a particular social order because God's real. So all this stuff actually matters. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of Pope Benedict's uh, concern about practical atheism sure. being more dangerous than regular atheism. Uh, because, you know, when you think of yourself as a Christian, but you're just a complete arsehole to everyone around you, you know, that's not really reflective of like true belief and relationship with God. That's kind of reflective of, you know, you still got, you know, we all have a ways to go, but you got like an especially big ways to go. Um, And and being conscious of like, what am I really worshiping here? Am I worshiping uh, my vanity, myself, and how excited I get when other people respect me for my knowledge? Am I respecting or am I worshiping the knowledge itself? Um, And I think just we got to, we got to hold each other accountable to that in love and charity and in fraternity. We got to hold ourselves accountable to that as much as possible. Um, and yeah, I mean, that was certainly a struggle for me early in my conversion. My reversion is I just got so in love with the Lord that I was just on this crazy learning frenzy. I just went all in, fell head over heels for God and the church. And in my excitement about everything I was learning, it I kind of slipped into that danger zone and turned a lot of people off to the faith ironically because of that Mm -hmm. uh so that's beautiful that's powerful and speaking of being right about stuff gentlemen get them it's time for the catholic weird stuff segment Today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking about a topic of which I have no idea uh, what it means, what it is, but this is what these guys wanted to bring to you, and it is the topic of usury. Gentlemen, bring us in. Did you know that the Catholic Church condemned usury? And furthermore, did you know what usury is? <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, we better do this backwards. Yeah. <laughs> usury has been defined in various ways throughout church history, but the definition that we find from the ecumenical councils is that it is receiving more back uh, from a loan than what you loaned out. Charging interest on a loan. That's what it is. Now, you might be shocked. Are you shocked? Do you feel shocked? Well, you should. Do you say, I'm so shocked. Do we still believe this? Is this something that we hold to, to into the 21st well, century? I mean, is it that different than what's happening right now? I mean, yeah, 0%. Usury is like the blood of our country and, okay. and really the world at this point. But the, yeah. the idea of charging interest on a loan is very simple. I mean, you think about a credit card, for mm-hmm. instance. That's just that inaction. Right, mm-hmm. or mortgage, or literally any loan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> imagine a loan. How many other interest. types of loans can we think? I, I, would, I would say even down to our fiat currency that we have currently. Because explain that. Yeah, because money is a placeholder uh, for some real tangible good. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we've been printing money so quickly, and that banks create money so uh, so recklessly, means that all the money that in, that's in your bank account is dwindling over time. So if you're saving up for a home, well, sorry, your buying power in your in your savings account is getting less and less and less and less. Mm-hmm. And so the the promise of the dollar that you you know you do some sort of work, you're given a dollar for it. That is in a sense a debt that was that was uh, that is owed to you. Uh, that becomes less. Like your labor becomes more worthless as it's as it's valued in money. So by the time that you go and buy whatever it is you are saving up for, you have to go and save up more for it. In in a real sense, usury has taken over our economy from the top to the bottom. Mm-hmm. It's and, and so we're not fans of it. So we're not fans of it. And in fact, the very first ecumenical council, the very the council in which we revealed to the world who the Holy Trinity was, is 
that we can properly call God uh, one in three, one essence, three persons. The very council where we declared that Jesus Christ was not just some some person, some great prophet walking around, but truly God himself was the very same ecumenical council when we condemned usury. Hmm. And so we have to realize why is it that we've made such a big deal about this in the past? And the, and the real reason is that whenever you're giving out a loan to somebody who, in, in effect, truly needs money, you are giving out of your surplus. You don't really need the money. So by Does that make sense? Because otherwise yes. you couldn't give the loan, right? Yes, okay. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I need money, I just Mark. happen to not know usury. I'm not totally dumb okay. on this stuff. Well, but but, but here, here I will add this. I am totally, <laughs> totally dumb on this stuff. So okay. I, I have to slow it down. Too. Okay. So, so if I would only go to Mark and ask for money if I needed money. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mark would only be able to give me money if he had... Like more than he needed. Right. Oh, I just happen to have more than I need. Here you go. Right. He's not going to like make his, his kids starve to help you and your kids. That's right. right. Yeah, exactly. Unless they've been bad. <laughs> but that's a different part of the, your Catholic yeah, yeah. segment. <laughs> just kidding, guys. It's not real. Uh, so then for him to take advantage of me in right. my poverty is exactly antithetical to the entire Christian life. Right. We're supposed to be helping the poor, lifting them up. You know, this when, when Mary sings that, that God has lifted up the lowly, uh, that is supposed to be us as well as we participate and mediate God's goodness in this world. And so usury action in, in, in its very action goes against the the condescension of Christ that his wow. entering his incarnation his descent it's so, like the opposite of Christ like yeah yes exactly. i love that <laughs> no that's huge yeah and the reason this is i mean this might <laughs> expressed so enthusiastically it might not seem controversial the reason it is is because loans are given for no other purpose than to profit on them right and what the church is fundamentally saying though obviously there's a lot of contention about what precisely constitutes usury in any given instance is that loaning should not be something that you profit from. And if that's the case, then our entire financial system, which is predicated on profit from loans, whether it's credit cards, mortgages, loans generally, banks. (laughs) It's a big hot mess that shouldn't be happening. Right. It is all quite wicked. Yeah. Um, Fair? Fair. Quite wicked. The world judged quite wicked. I'm curious... (laughs) You've heard it first here on Awakened Catholic, guys. Uh, <laughs> um, so what is that? How, where does something like uh, Venmo fall into that, right? So the way Venmo works is they make money off of your money in your transaction. You don't see any less of the money. It's not like they're taking a percentage of, from you. But by holding your money for one to three business days, they're making interest on your money that you don't see. You just get the exact amount of dollars that you expected to get in that transaction. Um, so they're still profiting from creating uh, an environment in which you can make a transaction directly with someone. Um, is Does that fall under usury if it's not directly negatively impacting the other person other than having to wait one to three days for your transaction? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, the 13th century saints, the scholastics that, were, that did discuss usury often included uh, investments within them. Now, you'd say why. That seems like there's a proper distinction there between somebody that needs money for a new venture and somebody that needs money to feed their kids. Mm-hmm. And and you'd say, and I would agree with you, absolutely, there's, there's a proper distinction. But here's, here's the point that the scholastics uh, made in this. They, and they made the same distinction themselves, a productive loan versus an unproductive loan. Um, but they would say, did you work? Like, did you, why are you getting any profit off of somebody else's work there's there is an inherent attachment between wealth and work that they found to be something that was sacred Mm -hmm. because work of course was a gift given to adam before the fall Mm -hmm. it's not something that resulted from our sin but actually from god's creative goodness and so when we would uh so there's a question about when uh investments are good and bad and what are good and bad investments mm. and i think that's just a different conversation yeah and i've heard you talk about that on yeah. your show too it's, it's a very good conversation to have and i and i in general mm-hmm. everyone watching listening make sure to go check out their youtube channel listen to them on wherever you find podcasts new polity uh or visit newpolity.com. you guys you guys have great stuff um right. along these lines and, and other topics um and so 
I want to segue into uh, a conversation about like it, it, I want to push back a little bit on what you just said, only from the context because I agree with everything you just said. But then I, I also wonder if it's almost too reductive to certain circumstances where it's less obvious. So like in the Venmo example, mm -hmm. um, how are they making money off of a transaction that has nothing to do with them or that they didn't put work into or whatever? Is that kind of the proposition there? Uh, well, I'm not going to make a strong accusation I th towards Venmo. I think there's just an investment conversation that has to be okay. taken well, a little bit But I do think that yeah. the, the principle is that there is a service that's provided, right, in loaning. Right. Mm -hmm. And however that happens. Right. There's the, there's the actual work, if you will, of like running Venmo as an app or whatever. Right. But also in terms of uh, being able to loan money, mm -hmm. like it's a certain loss of of opportunity that you have with that money. And the church has argued that it is OK to essentially charge for that labor. Right. But that is very different than charging interest. So you're not saying... You know, this loan unpaid accrues this much interest, mm -hmm. you know, indefinitely, which is just this indefinite expansion of money. I mean, if if, if you think about student loans, they're just going up mm -hmm. onto infinity right now mm -hmm. <laughs> as we speak. Um, but there is a place to say, like, no, there's actual labor involved in the giving of a loan, whether it's because you run a bank, for instance, and so there's employees and there's people intaking you and deciding and blah, blah, blah. Or perhaps in the case of Venmo, I'd say there's an actual utility function right. there so it's not necessarily wrong to pay for that so that's where it might not be usury uh well but that's it, just not what venmo does so it's right. a different model so yeah. something it's actually more like if someone sends me money uh, it's almost more like as the recipient of that money i'm giving venmo a loan to hold on to it for one to three days they can build interest on it and give it back to me and i haven't seen a difference in the dollar right so i'm more like the lender as the recipient of that money right my bigger concern with venmo is like what is it that they're they're investing in right okay that's that's a huge question because, because the reason the, they're making money is because they're taking your money and investing it right? right yeah exactly so so the church has certainly said you know in certain cases loans can be given and and as long as there's not a profit you can charge some interest on it, no. This was taken in the in the case of what we call the the uh, the Mount of Piety. This is a medieval uh, almonry, and almonry was a place where the poor could go and get help. Um, now, in this case, the 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 people giving out a loan could charge some level of interest, albeit it was for love, like in love, and it was not a desire to take advantage, but actually a desire to help the other person. And so far as there was not a single dime left over once all the expenses were paid, um, and the people were not living well, or living kind of the high life off of, uh, off of charging the interest of, from those that need it. Now, that's a really kind of technical point that needs to be adjusted and that's what mark's referring to mm -hmm. um but uh but with in the case of venmo i'd i'd really ask the question what are you investing in mm -hmm. if you're using my money i really want to know, know like are you are you investing yeah. in porn companies are you investing in in abortions are you are you putting money behind planned parenthood are, or like uh, abortifacients and such as big pharma has you know just tons of companies on, mm -hmm. on the stock exchange that are using a lot of our money to be able to continue on with what they're doing. You can give a whole host of reasons mm -hmm. why you want uh, for for various companies why you wouldn't want them invested in them. And, and my question to Venmo is, what are you doing with my money? And also, you know, then it would kind of the onus would turn back to us. Like, why are we using Venmo when yeah. we don't know how they're using our funds? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. that's so true. And and really, what we need is alternatives. What we what we need is some really cool techie Catholic guy to come up and be like, "Hey, I know how to make stuff," and then just make us a Catholic Venmo. That'd be great. <laughs> and then you know what the problem is with Tell that me. is that people believe that they can only do something if they make money off of it. And the whole point of the church's teaching here is right. that there is no way to say like, "Aha, I'm going to give people money in such a way that I end up with." profit yeah that's what they're saying i think something just happened okay so this is this is going to get into the and this is the last thing we're going to touch on because i need to make sure you guys have dinner before the event um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh <clears throat> so i've watched your episode on cryptocurrency oh boy i happen to be a strong advocate for cryptocurrency wow bring the, it on the veil drops the veil drops i have on the other side of the wall here <laughs> 
uh, a crypto mining rig. So I'm at all times mining crypto. What are you mining? Uh, Ethereum. Are you? Okay. Yeah. Um, And I have a portfolio of a few different types of coins that I've invested in. uh, And I'm very excited to uh, eventually see this market swing back the other way. But anyways, um, one of the things that I've been... Well, so first question is, am I going to hell? Oh no, not not for that. Uh, <laughs> but for the other stuff. But for the other stuff. Up, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> uh, so so just to give a little bit of introduction, do, do, do your viewers know what crypto? No, is I, I've, I've alluded like to it a couple of times, but I've not really gone into it. Okay, so cryptocurrencies are ways of producing medium of exchange, which is just another way of talking about money, but all held on an electronic database that is not on a central server. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's unlike a central bank uh, who produces money at their own whim and at their own calculations, there is no central authority when it comes to cryptocurrencies uh, able to adjust the um, amount of of money in the system. Now, there's this thing called mining, which is really, uh, I think, a false way of referring to it. What you're doing is you're expending extraordinary amount of energy to solve puzzles uh, in order to unlock one unit, or or I guess it, you know, there's there's different packages that you mm-hmm. unlock uh, a certain number of units of of cryptocurrency. That then you have and you and you get to spend however you want. Uh, the model of cryptocurrencies is much superior to fiat currencies, I'd say, in or at least I shouldn't say the model. That's not necessarily true. The technology the, the behind goal, it. The goal. No, I wouldn't say that either. I would say the goal behind uh, cryptocurrencies to have a non-manipulatable mm-hmm. currency. That's is, what I meant by the technology, because the blockchain is not manipulatable. Right, but I wouldn't want to praise the technology on, on okay. crypto because it expends so much energy. Um, the amount of mining that... And now I'm going to pick on Bitcoin just because I know that's the, the bigger yeah, yeah. crypto uh, and also uh, just to know what I know the numbers on, uh, better than, than Ethereum, is that you have... People that are mining... Bitcoin expend an extraordinary amount of energy. Now you have to understand that because you have the rig up over here, and again, I don't even like these terms because it it it's, it gives a false sense of what a false idea of what people are doing. There's, uh, but you have a lot of computers up. It expends quite a bit of energy to do that. Like all electronic products, you have a monthly payment at the mm-hmm. end of that. Um, to have your computers on costs something. The amount of energy that people use each year in mining Bitcoin comes out to about 121 terawatts. That comes out to be more than what the entire country of Argentina uses annually. But is that is that a global amount or is that... It's a global amount. It's a global amount. That's okay. what, what we use collectively. Now, what's the price tag on that? And what's the price tag on the computers that people are, you know, usually about every three to four years replacing and upgrading with? That comes out to be about $25 billion. Mm. The market cap on Bitcoin right now, do you know what it is? No. It's, it's sitting around $600 billion. Uh, That means that every year you have to spend about for the 5%... Uh, of the market cap of the cryptocurrency just on maintaining it. Mm-hmm. Now, what is money really supposed to do? It's supposed to be a measure. It's supposed to be a measure of our labor, and it's supposed to be a, right. a, a measure of real economic goods. I don't think it's supposed to be competing with real economic goods. Mm-hmm. And that's that's my problem. What's one of my problems with cryptocurrencies is that real goods that God created are being used up not to alleviate people's needs, but on assessing them mm. evaluating them okay so i i'm i'm definitely th- like i'm pro sound money i'm pro uh, crypto in terms of its goals i just don't think it's realistic in how it's trying to achieve them i also think that the regressive distribution of who owns the majority of cryptocurrencies today it, it leads to uh, the elite class growing their wealth exponentially beyond everybody else yeah. and, and we see this happening at on a geopolitical level to absurd degrees right now where 
uh, the people that got into Bitcoin early, they were investors. They weren't just the average, you know, Joes. They were people that, you know, put in 10, 11, 12 million dollars and now are worth a few billion as yeah. a result. Um, just to be clear, I was not one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going pretty hard on it because I, because I really want people to think well about it. Yeah. And, and, and that these are just numbers and stats that just aren't, aren't talked about. The amount of computer, I mean, do you know how much... I mean, and so I don't advocate going back to a gold standard, but I do advocate going back to gold. Um, the The amount of gold in the world today that has ever been mined, you could it fills up about yeah. three hundred thousand cubic feet. The amount of computers in the world that uh, people are using to mine Bitcoin comes out to be about three point three million cubic feet. It, 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 in terms of being an immaterial mm-hmm. currency, it, I mean. It's just, it's, I think it's a farce, actually. I think there's always a hidden design um, behind something that people say is going to be a, a great boon for yeah. the world that that is not revealed to the common man. The challenge that I'm facing right now is, yeah. gosh, there's a great deal I want to talk to you guys about. Yeah. I want to respond to that. <laughs> I want to talk about economic structures. Yeah. I'm Cuban. There's communism in my background, and sure, that makes me sure. very averse to communism, socialism. Uh, but there, there's so much to talk about between that, capitalism, distributism, and I wish we could do a part two to this episode. I don't know how long you're in town, but if you guys are in the area, I would love to follow up and keep talking um, both about crypto and economic structures, 401ks, savings accounts, but I have to feed you guys before you your event which is coming right up so um man thank you so much for being with me here today, i'm sorry guys. we talked about cryptocurrencies the whole time oh no it's okay it was not i'm the one that brought it up uh and i actually uh, i said something just happened because what you made me think of is i've been trying to think of for a while how to come up with a creative um, way to leverage blockchain technology in a Catholic and humanitarian way. So there's a project called Cardano. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's basically being used to bring infrastructure to a bunch of areas in Africa that are super impoverished. And it's really beautiful what's happening with that, actually. And so I've been thinking like, man, what is... And I just, you know, we thought I thought about it here while we were talking, uh, a blockchain technology to create like a Catholic Venmo where it isn't about making money, but it's about creating a transactory opportunity peer-to-peer. So yeah. please don't steal my ideas, viewers or listeners, uh, but... <laughs> I'd love to get to talk to you guys more in the future if that's ever possible. Um, If you're watching or listening, thank you so much for sticking with us. Please check out newpolity.com. Look up New Polity anywhere you consume your podcasts. Uh, Look them up on YouTube. They have an awesome, awesome channel. uh, And they're just doing great stuff, great videos on great topics. And also... I forgot to mention it at the beginning of the show, Awaken Catholic, we just launched our first capital campaign. So if you want to help us do all the stuff that we're doing, keep the lights on, keep the cameras on, visit awakencatholic.org to learn more about our capital campaign, the Kickstart the Mission campaign. Uh, make sure to check out the Awaken Catholic app at theawakenapp.io. Uh, gentlemen, Jacob, Mark, thank you for being here. You guys so are awesome. Much. Truly awesome great. people. Really great. <laughs> God bless you, everybody. Before you go, Jesus loves you.